to the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist at extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com. So who was here last week? You would have heard Aaron's talk last week, which really impacted me. It was an excellent talk. I honour you, Aaron, for that. Aaron spoke on something. Is it, is it coming on, Samuel? Aaron spoke on a topic called Prince of Peace. He, uh, he, he started off in Isaiah chapter 9, seeing somebody waiting, explained to us how sometimes we think that prince nowadays is a kind of a, a king in waiting, somebody waiting around. But at the time this was written, the prince really was someone with great authority. So just as the Bible says that, that, um, that Satan is the prince of darkness, the real ruler, then Jesus is the Prince of Peace, the ruler of peace. Aaron spoke about different kinds of peace. He talked about an intense personal peace. And uh, in Philippians chapter 4, it says this in the New Living uh, Translation. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. And Aaron spoke about this experience of praying for kids and seeing such a transformation as God's peace came over them that it was hard to believe that this person I'm looking at now is the same person as 10 minutes ago. God's peace came in like a miracle. It was a personal thing. Then at the end of Aaron's talk, we sang a song, and the song was called It Is Well With My Soul. This song talks a lot about this amazing personal peace, so much so that it's many years since the story of that song was told in this building, and I'm going to tell it to you now. I'm going to read it. Horatio Spafford was a successful attorney and real estate investor who lost a fortune in the Great Chicago Fire of 1871. Around the same time, his beloved four-year-old son died of scarlet fever. Just imagine that for a minute. You've lost everything. He sent his wife and four daughters on a trip on a ship to England, planning to join them soon. However, the ship was involved in a terrible collision and sunk. More than 200 people lost their lives, including all four of Horatio Spifford's precious daughters. His wife, Anna, survived the tragedy. Upon arriving in England, she sent a telegram to her husband that read, Saved alone, what shall I do? Horatio immediately set set sail for England. At one point during his voyage, the captain of the ship summoned Horatio to tell him that they were now passing over the spot where the shipwreck had occurred. This is the place where all your daughters died. As Horatio thought about his daughters, words of comfort and hope filled his heart and mind. He wrote them down, and they've since become a well-beloved hymn. When peace like a river attends my, so- my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, billows are the giant waves of the sea. Whatever my lot, you have taught me to know it is well with my soul. I find it hard to tell you that without choking up. You see, it's an amazing song, but when you think he wrote that on the deck of a ship over the place where his four precious daughters died. People ask, how can you have such a peace? I don't understand. When you're going through this tough stuff, they say to us, you, you've, you've lost a spouse, you've lost a child. Times are hard for you. I know this is difficult. There's a divorce. You've, you've got a child who's gone off the rails. How can you have peace in this time? 
And the answer is, I don't know. When they say, I can't understand it, we say, we can't understand it either. Because it's the peace of God that exceeds all understanding. That's what it is. It's the Prince of Peace. That's what it is. And one of my themes that I often speak about when I'm here is, you know God's working in your life when? When you see a change. And I'm going to tell you this. If you're going through something that you know would have absolutely freaked you out and made you fall to bits, but somehow you can't understand it, but there's a peace inside, then that's one way of knowing that God is changing you and that your Christian life is working. We have our ups and downs, but that's a sign when you have that peace. You just know that God is with you and that it's his peace. Now, Aaron also spoke of another kind of peace. He talked about peace between countries and tribes and gangs where there was once war and it's replaced with peace. And he spoke about Dan in Heidelberg. Dan's here today. I didn't know he's going to be here, but he is. That's Dan, this guy, who ate the chocolate and turned brown. <laughs> so, and what he said is Dan gets in his car and he drives from Heidelberg through to France at 100 k's an hour across ground which was absolutely shattered, completely smashed and, and, and just over 100 years ago war had totally destroyed this place, totally. Millions of people lost their lives on that very soil. The war was so heartbreaking, you'd say, how could anybody ever get healed from that? How could there ever be peace? But they can. How could that happen? Now, Jesus said this. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. And I'm going to make a statement today that you can think about. Where an absolutely terrible situation, a heartbreaking situation that seems totally lost, turns into peace, I'm going to tell you that I believe that's because a peacemaker was involved. And I'm going to tell you that I believe the Prince of Peace was involved too. And today, I'm going to tell you some stories of how wars became peace. And I'm going to start with the one that Aaron talked about last week. This picture shows what Europe looked like, especially France, just after the war or during the war. You can see that that strange-looking wreck at the back was once a precious uh, and beautiful medieval cathedral, which is one of the many things that's been smashed to bits. All the houses, so many people. After the Great War, Europe was devastated. 20 million people had been killed. And 20 million people had been wounded. And half the people who died in the war weren't fighters. They were just mums and dads and kids. And this hadn't happened before. Up until that time, wars only seemed to kill soldiers. But not this war. People called it the, end, the war to end all wars because it was such a terrible war that everybody knew that no one would ever want to have another war again. It was the war to end all wars. And what actually ended the war was something called the Treaty of Versailles. And I'm going to read you the history of that. The Treaty of Versailles was signed by Germany and by the Allied Nations, formally ending World War I. The terms of the treaty required that Germany pay financial reparations, that they disarm, they had to disband all their armies and navies, they lose territory and they give up all their overseas territories. And the reparations that Germany had to pay then, in those days, was $33 billion of gold. This is over 100 years ago. Think about it. 
$33 billion. Now, you could say this was fair enough, because if you look at the picture, France was utterly devastated by the war. As the German troops left, they went through the heartland of industrial France. They took whatever they want home with them, and they just completely destroyed the rest. Railways, mines, factories, bridges. France was totally, and, and whole towns and villages were just smashed to bits. Not as an act of war, but as an act of vandalism and sour grapes. So you can see why this money was to be given. But Germany was broke. They had had a hard time in the war too. And the payments weren't all made on time. And in 1923, 100,000 French troops marched across that land that Dan drives on to go and make sure that they got what Germany owed them. And at gunpoint, they took coal, they took timber, they took machinery, they loaded up trains. And as you can imagine, there was a lot of resentment from the German people. They threw fruit at the, at the French soldiers and they yelled at them and it was a very, very unhappy situation. The reason is because you can't enforce peace. The German economy collapsed. Money was just lost its value altogether. A loaf of bread cost 4 billion Reichmarks at the end of 2023. In 2022, you could get three loaves of bread for one Reichmark. And this woman here is lighting the fire. What's she using to light the fire? Money. She's burning banknotes as kindling. And with Germany so discouraged and everything so unhappy and people losing everything, a young Austrian house painter began to rise to fame. What was his name? Mr. Adolf Hitler. And he said this. He said, we can make Germany great again. We can build a new society which will be strong. We can get rid of the undesirable people from our society. We can get rid of the Jews and the homosexuals and the gypsies and the Slavs. We can get rid of the disabled people, the people with Down syndrome. And Hitler began to build a dream of a new society which wouldn't have all these bad people. By the end of it, he had killed 12 million people who he deemed as being unacceptable or, you know, not up to his standards. That wasn't, they weren't war dead. They were people who were murdered because they were, were not perfect. He rose rapidly to power. He stopped paying the reparations. He rearmed. The army and navy began to build up. Europe began to get worried. And Hitler announced that they needed living space. So Hitler and the Germans took over Austria. They started to take over parts of Czechoslovakia. And with heavy hearts, the people of Europe realised that it was time for another war. They couldn't stop it. And this time, instead of everybody cheering, my dad told me about it, instead of everybody cheering as the soldiers went off to war, everybody sat there quietly with heavy hearts because they knew what to expect. The Second World War had begun, and Hitler took over France and Belgium and Holland and treated the people badly. It was a terrible war. Many lives were lost. Countries were destroyed. New Zealand was drawn into it. And while that was all going on, Japan decided that that was a good time for them to take control of Asia and the Pacific. And the war came close to home. Australia was bombed. The Japanese believed that their emperor was God, and they threw everything into the war. There was great cruelty. People were tortured, and people were raped, and people were taken as slaves. How long did the war go on? Six years and one day. And when it finished, Europe was in dire straits. Millions of its citizens had been killed or seriously wounded. 
Many cities had been destroyed. Some regions were on the brink of famine because food production had been so destroyed by the fighting. Railways, electric power stations, port facilities, roads, bridges, airports, they were extensively damaged. And the shipping fleets of many countries had all been sunk. What should be done to punish Germany for all this? In Luke chapter 6, it says this. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Could that actually be done? Could you actually do that? General Marshall was the chief of Allied forces, and he decided to take that Bible verse literally. The Marshall Plan was a US program providing aid to Western Europe following the devastation of World War II. It was enacted in 1948, and it provided more than 15 billion US dollars, that's like 200 billion in today's money, to reconstruct cities, industries, and infrastructure damaged during the war. Americans went into Germany, and they looked for things that could be used to give jobs and build the economy. One American said, there's a factory here, but all it does is build a funny little car. I don't know if anyone would want to buy it. What was the funny little car? The Volkswagen Beetle, they sold 21 million. And so what you had was a strange thing happening, just as Jesus said. The Americans and the Allies going through Germany, rebuilding. And I should tell you that all of this help was also offered to the communist countries of Eastern Europe as well. But Stalin said they weren't allowed to accept it. And the result was what Aaron described. I was very impressed with his insight. Most people my age don't understand, but Aaron did. The countries of Western Europe have lived in peace ever since. I've lived my whole life, I'm 69, without ever being in a war. To us, that's normal. But if you look back at history, I assure you it is not. People who have never been through a war, there haven't been many of them. Making peace is costly. It's a sacrifice. The Marshall Plan cost 5% of America's gross domestic commerce gross domestic product. But there's an emotional cost too, isn't there? These people we're helping, look, look what they did to us. And while all this was going on, Japan kept fighting. Thousands more died. And when Japan finally surrendered, the country was devastated. What would be done to punish Japan for all their crimes? Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 12. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. If it is possible... As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And General MacArthur who was the, the commander of the Pacific forces, decided to take this literally. General Douglas MacArthur, the Allied Powers' supreme commander, overseeing Japan's post-war transition, took seriously lessons learned from post-World War I treaties. Instead of humiliating the defeated country and demanding massive reparation payments, America set the stage for a more positive relationship with its treatment of defeated Japan. Fearing a massive famine in the devastated country, Americans airlifted in food. Soldiers shared their rations with Japanese locals. 
And this, oh, I should go back to there. General MacArthur was the biggest person anyone in Japan had ever seen. That's him with the, with the emperor of Japan. And after the war, General MacArthur gave orders that the emperor should report to him. The emperor did, because he had to do as he was told. And that was a way of saying the emperor is not God. There's also a well-remembered story where General MacArthur had to get onto a lift, and he arrived with some others, and he stood back and said, no, after you. And nobody in Japan could understand how this, this amazing great man would let the other people go in the lift before him. See, he was modeling Christ-likeness. The emotional cost was the same. These people were helping. Look what they did to us. They killed our buddies. They tortured people in, our, in the prisoner of war con- uh, camps. They starved our buddies, and we're feeding them. But the Bible is true. Blessed are the peacemakers. And love began to grow. 45,000 American servicemen married Japanese women. And a bond between America and Japan is close and strong because they preserved Japan's mana. And the result was a new Japan and a new constitution. And in the Japanese constitution it says this, Aspiring sincerely to an international peace based on justice and order, the Japanese people forever renounce war. Japan has never gone to war since. Blessed are the peacemakers. My next story is, is more close to us. It's very personal. Oh, oh that's the, that is the Japanese school lunch program. Those little chubby kids are eating American food, <laughs> and they are quite chubby. This is, this is the Wairere Falls where this next story takes place. Tarore was the daughter of Wurumu Ngākuku. He was a rangatira of the Ngāti Haua tribe. In April 1835, a mission station was opened in Matamata by Alfred Brown and his wife, Charlotte. Tarore was given a Māori language copy of the Gospel of Luke. And from the book, from the Gospel of Luke, Charlotte Brown taught Tarore to read. Because of her ability to memorize much of the Gospel, Tarore was considered a prodigy. That means an amazing kid. She would recite portions of the Gospel to crowds of two to three hundred of her people. And it was supported by her father as an evangelist, a lay evangelist. Her father recognized her gifting of evangelism. She was 10 or 12 years old, speaking to hundreds without a microphone. In October 1836, Tarori was evacuated with the other pupils from her school in Matamata because of a violent conflict between Iwi. She took her father's rare Maori gospel of Luke and a small kete she wore around her neck. While stopped for the night of 18th October near the Wairere Falls in the Kaimai Ranges, that's that's them. Her party of 24, including her peace-loving father, was attacked by a Ngati Whakaue war party from Rotorua. Tarore was murdered, and the book was stolen by the warrior Paura Te Uita. Her ritualistically mutilated body was carried back to the Matamata mission station and was given a Christian burial. The Māori law of Utu required revenge for her death. But at her tangi, her Christian father spoke words of forgiveness and said, Do not rise up to obtain satisfaction for her. God will do that. Are you putting yourself in the story? I am. I'm a dad with girls. My daughter has been murdered and mutilated. The law of my ancestors says I have to take revenge. I'm going to choose to follow Jesus' way. 
What a cost. Several weeks later, back in Rotorua, Uita asked a visiting ex-slave called Ripaho of Ngāti Awa to explain the book to him. How could Ripaho read? Because when the gospel came to a Māori settlement, the people would learn the gospel, they'd learn to read, and as part of that, the slaves would be free to go back to where they came from. So you had a network of slaves returning to where they'd come from, and Ripaho was one of those. Ripaho explained the book to Uita. Uita became a Christian, and he asked for forgiveness from Ngākuku, leading to their reconciliation. Think about that for a minute. These two men, the murderer and the father, reconciled and becoming friends. Only the Prince of Peace can do that. The book continued to play a key role in Māori evangelising Māori for years to come, including the introduction of the gospel to the South Island for the first time. What a cost to forgive the man who ritually murdered and mutilated your beautiful and gifted daughter. What courage to defy the gang law and to stand for God's way. And what a transformation. The gospel of forgiveness overcomes the law of Utu through these islands. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. I believe that being a peacemaker is a calling. Our society is divided. These are difficult times. There is trouble. My friend Carol comes to see me sometimes and she says, are you staying out of trouble? My answer is no. Because as Christians, we don't stay out of trouble. If there's trouble, we need to be there. Do you, pr- do you pray for peace that we can all get on? Please do. And if you do, please keep doing it. Has God called you to step in and take your part so others can be reconciled? and have relationships healed and live in peace? I hope some of you say yes, because we have a desperate need for peacemakers. Three peacemakers we heard about today changed the world because they read what the Bible said, and they did it. It's not rocket science. It's simple. It's not easy. It took sacrifice, and it always will. It's uncomfortable. It's courageous, because you're never quite sure what will happen. It costs... It costs you your peace as you're drawn into conflict and hurt. You'll often find, if you're a peacemaker, that you go away and stuff's churning around in you because you kind of take people's troubles onto yourself. As you act as a mediator, both sides might see you as being on the other side, and that can happen, can't it? But please be open to the fact that God might want you to be a peacemaker. And in the end, your path to your own personal peace is to do what God says. I want to honour a noted peacemaker in our midst today, Emmanuel Hoyta, from a gang background, as he works to bring reconciliation in particular between the mongrel mob and Mangukaha, a branch of black power. Those gangs have not traditionally got along. And as Emmanuel courageously builds friendships and draws people together, brother, I honour you with all these people. We need to pray for that man. He's under pressure, uh, and he's a great man of God. Bless you, brother. If you're not called to be a peacemaker as a a ministry, can I ask one more thing of you? Something that many Christians are not good at. Romans chapter 12, verse 18 said, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. At the end of the day, when you look back at how you did, did you do everything possible to live in peace? 
If you did, then have a good sleep and don't worry. You aren't responsible for how other people respond. But if you could have possibly done more to live at peace, say sorry to God, ask him to help you, and try harder tomorrow. It can be frustrating when you try so hard and people are hard to get along with. Here's a promise for you from Proverbs 16. When a man's ways please the Lord, please remember this mean men and women, when men and women's ways please the Lord, he makes even their enemies to be at peace with him. Be patient. Making peace can be hard work, and it might take some time. Matthew 5 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. I'm going to pray for us now. Loving Father, as we enter a new year, one of the things you've called us to do is to work for peace and reconciliation. Gospel of reconciliation. We thank you for those heroes we talked about today. And for the people in our own midst who've tirelessly worked to bring peace where there wasn't peace. We pray, Lord, that you'd put your finger on the ones in this, in this room right now who you want to really take this seriously, to see people get along who don't. And we pray that our church can be seen as a place of peace that reaches out and brings peace to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Huntley Baptist Church Podcast. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you. Please feel free to contact us at